0: Welcome in to 2 for one drafts. Austin Gale here, the host of 2 for one drafts, a rookies and draft prospects podcast. I'm here with my guy in studio, Mike Renner. We're going to talk a little NFL.com stuff. Charlie Casserly released his latest mock draft, going to talk about some of the picks in that one. Also look at Daniel Jeremiah's top 50 and see some of the biggest differences in his board compared to ours. And also, grinding the mocks has put together a consensus mock so to speak, at an expected draft position. We're going to look at guys that were higher on or lower on according to that expected draft position. And then we're going to finish the podcast with interviews with Auburn's Jamie and Sherwood, and then Jalen Darden, the wide receiver of North Texas. Let's get it. Buddy, we are back. Mondays are the best days because the weekend, you got some good stories off the weekend. I know you went out to what?
1: Charleston. Charleston. What, give me a highlight from Charleston. <sighs> There's a lot. Of, Charles, the food out in Charleston is incredible. The weather was incredible. I'm a little tan if you're watching on YouTube. Love that. Got a little, got a little sun. There good, was man. a guy though. we were at this outdoor patio uh, restaurant slash bar called Saltwater Cowboy. And they have a DJ who's also playing the violin as he DJed. It was one of the coolest things I've seen in my entire life. He's, like, banging out the violin at the same time as, like... DJing? Yeah, like, as these EDM songs. Like, he's playing it alongside... It was just... Dude, that's it was, nuts. It was a good experience. He just
0: put all other DJs on notice. He's yeah. like, "Hey, yeah, cool that you guys are spinning discs and stuff." <laughs> yeah. I'm about to bi- play the He's out there just rocking. Yes, that's incredible. I that feel like you awesome. can't be a lame DJ at a bar called Saltwater Cowboy, though. Yeah, yeah it was one of the it.
1: coolest bars. Saltwater Cowboy was right on the water at Shem Creek there in uh, Charleston. Any notable yeah. food yeah. highlights? I had a chicken parm sandwich that was probably the best chicken parm sandwich I've ever had in my entire Fuck. life. The bread was like non-ish bread. It was like that unleavened whatever it's the food out there is nuts it is it's an interesting little city it's not like a big city but it's I've never been it sounds awesome it's cool
0: I've never been that chicken parm I don't know the last time I have even had a chicken parm
1: yeah I guess I don't have a lot to compare to chicken parm wash I probably had maybe fewer than a dozen in my entire life but of those fewer than a dozen this was number one this
0: might be dating us a little bit but remember the popular Peyton Manning commercials The chicken
1: parm, you taste so good. I don't remember. It was better than that chicken parm. It was? It It looked better. Very cool.
0: Uh, I don't have any highlights. My dad is back on the wagon. Uh, He sent me, I shared it with everyone on the podcast group, but we can't talk about it yet for legal reasons. We're going to figure this out. We're going to figure this out. My dad's in a situation that we've seen before, but it's too recent to discuss on the pot. But he's healthy. He's okay. Healthy is probably a stretch. He's okay. We'll see where it goes as healthy as
1: he's been before.
0: The only story I've got is that I have to bring this up. Anna Anna Taylor-Joy.
1: Oh, you're obsessed.
0: I'm, I'm obsessed. And I don't know. She's not like the traditional hot, in my opinion, like so other this celebrities. Is,
1: this is the main actress from Queen's Gambit.
0: Main actress from Queen's Gambit. One of the most successful, no, the most successful Netflix show ever. Won a Golden Globe Golden this Golden past Globe. weekend. And honestly, she has this magnetism about her that I just truly respect. That's what you, that's
1: like you. You're the... The, she's a We're meant to be,
0: you know, like I, if she's looking for a queen or a king, <laughs> yikes, uh, you know, she's looking she, to knock
1: off my DMs
0: are open, Anna, my DMs are open, you know, like that's all I'm going to say. But you yeah. guys want to know a secret? Yeah. Still haven't seen Queen's Gambit. Dude. I'm like, I'm, I think I'm the last person on earth and I, I gotta be, honest, I don't, it doesn't, I'm not a huge chess guy. Mm-hmm. I will say, drugs. and I dropped this take on Twitter. The ending is fit for Disney. Okay. It is like. Spoiler: alert, Her and all her friends, just like her exes. Basically. Yeah, her, her, everyone she slept with in the movie comes together to help her win the big game. It's like yeah. I, I was expecting. If everyone like,
1: I slept with in real life came together, it would be a disaster.
0: It would also it would be not- crowded room. <laughs> Stop.
1: <laughs> well, now I don't have to watch
0: it. I know how it ends. <laughs> what, what is that? A cruise liner? Uh, anyway, uh, let's jump now to the the why you came here, the podcast, and we. I had multiple people DMing me, asking me, and asking us guys. You have to go over the Charlie Casserly mock draft because this
1: thing is incredible. It is, it is not. It is off the beaten path. We, we try to hit mocks of friends of the pod usually, mm-hmm. or the you know the Kuipers of the world. But this one, we're going to make an exception because it it had some it had some swings for the fences, proverbially. So we have producer Quinn, who obviously works the
0: cameras and works the audio editing, all that stuff. We also have producer Dave who works the talent booking, interview booking and stuff. He's trying to get Bucky Brooks on. We're working to get Todd McShay on to rehash some of the gripes you have with him. Charlie Casserly, I don't know if we want to bring him on after this. We'll see how it goes. But I'm going to read through some of the crazy picks in this mock draft here. So Jacksonville Jaguars at one, Trevor Lawrence, Jets at two, take Zach Wilson. The Miami Dolphins take Jamar Chase at three. And then at number four, Carolina Panthers trade up with the Atlanta Falcons to grab Trey Lance, which I don't think is – All that crazy, but go Trey Lance over Justin Fields is somewhat of a non-consensus opinion. And then at five, Penesul to the Bengals, Devontae Smith to the Eagles. Nothing crazy here. Detroit Lions, Micah Parsons at seven. The wild one is the Atlanta Falcons.
1: (laughs) The Atlanta Falcons uh, was it Charlie Day just wild card? Yeah, it just
0: goes off the rails here. The Atlanta Falcons, after trading back from four to eight, grab Najee Harris, running back of Alabama, and in the analysis. It looks like it's you know Todd Gurley a pending free agent. Oh, this is the best part. The Falcons trade back and still get their top choice. If their top choice is Najee Harris, I don't. I think there need to be some question marks about the front office. I hope Najee Harris is not their their top choice. But I will say that that's the most wild pick of this first round. Do you see this in any possibility happening?
1: No, I I think in this day and age, if that happened, if you did that, you'd. As a GM, you're the incumbent GM. Like you should be fired immediately if that's how you went with that roster as is right now. Well, You know what's insane? Todd Gurley is 26 years old. Todd Gurley is a is quote unquote washed up at 26 years old. That is pretty much all. I don't want to say all you need to know, but like that is a lot of why we say don't invest these guys that should be 10 to 15 years of your franchise in a pick number four, pick number eight overall after trading back here. That guy should be a cornerstone. That guy should be there for, like I said, ten to fifteen years. It shouldn't be a guy who's going to be feasibly washed up by twenty-six years old because of the the beating that position takes. So no, do not draft Najee Harris. That would be absurd. The other thing too,
0: and I was looking at this over the weekend, is you know the cap situation and like highest paid players at each position. The bottom three positions, when you look at the average for the top five paid players at each position, are center at twelve point eight million. Running back at 11.7 million and tight end at 10.7, the least valued positions on yeah. the open market in the NFL. If you draft Najee Harris at eight, he will immediately become, on his rookie contract, I think top 15 paid running back in the NFL yeah. if you draft him at eight. And that was the whole discussion. So throw running backs don't matter out the window, throw their value and all that out the window in terms of like what they do on the field. And it's more dependent on run blocking. Simply look at it as what the NFL does with. The NFL draft picks. When Saquon Barkley was drafted at what number two overall? Yes, he was immediately top five paid at his position. Yeah. That is the problem. The problem is that the NFL. I was trying to explain this to or talk about it with Brad Spielberger, PFF's own cap analyst. Yeah, um,
1: explain the cap.
0: Not explain Super. it to him, but I was like, <laughs> kind of like talking yeah. through it with him, and it was like if your mom gave you a raffle ticket, this magic raffle ticket, to get and you could buy any car you wanted with this raffle ticket. It could be a freaking Ferrari or it could be a Hot Wheels car. It's like you have the number two overall pick and you use this raffle ticket on a Hot Wheels car from a value perspective because you're just not like you're not juicing as much as you can out of it from a dollar's perspective. So Najah Harris drafted that high would be absurd for multiple reasons regardless of how you value him as a prospect. It's just like that number eight overall pick gets paid the same amount regardless of the position you take. Factor in positional value. Grab an offensive tackle. Grab an edge defender. A pass rusher. Whatever it may be. All right. Moving on from here. Charlie Casterly. Denver Broncos take Farley at 9. That's common. Sertan at 10 to the Dallas Cowboys. Waddle to the Giants is something we're kind of consistently seeing now. That's almost becoming kind of chalky. Then a little bit of a run on edge defenders. San Francisco 49ers take Quiddy Pay. I think that's the first edge defender off the board at 12. And then Rashawn Slater to the Chargers at 13. Then Jalen Phillips at 14 to the Minnesota Vikings, which leaves Kyle Pitts falling all the way to 15 to the New England Patriots. That would be... Quite the pick. If the if Pitts falls to 15, which I don't think he will, I do think the Patriots sprint the card in, but I also think the five teams drafting ahead of him also sprint the card in.
1: Yeah. There's there's too many teams I think that realize what he could do in their offense to for him to fall to 15. I just he is about as rare a prospect for his position as exists in this draft. That's it. That's, I don't think it's gonna make it fifteen.
0: He has Darasaw, Christian Darasaw, Virginia Tech offensive tackle, going to the Cardinals at 16. Raiders take, I haven't seen this one before, Elijah Vera Tucker, interior offensive lineman, projects as an interior offensive lineman, could play tackle, potentially going to the Raiders at 17. Dolphins keep Gregory Rousseau in Miami with their 18th uh, number 18 overall pick. Washington football team grabs Jeremiah Wusu koromoa Nothing too crazy here so far, kind of just moving through it. Tony to the Bears at 20, Jenkins, Tevin Jenkins of Oklahoma State, to the Colts at 21, Jalen Mayfield, a lot of tackles, a lot of pass rushers getting drafted, which from a positional value, point, make, positional value standpoint makes sense. Still wondering, where the hell's Justin Fields? Justin Fields does not <laughs> come off the board. Yeah. Jalen Mayfield at 22 to the Titans, Joe Tryon at 23 to the Jets, and then finally, Pittsburgh Steelers hit an absolute grand slam in the bottom of the ninth of the World Series and grabbed Justin Fields of Ohio State at 24. This would be absolutely insane, farcical, if I had to use the word for it. Absolutely farcical if Justin Fields falls to the Steelers at twenty-four.
1: Yep, I mean that's I cannot fathom a world. It just it's one of those. It almost feels like he made up the mock draft, had a bunch of fits he liked, and then it's like, oh shit, I forgot Justin Fields. Oh, okay, throw him in here. I didn't have a great fit for the Steelers. Let's throw him in here because in, it's. He even writes up in a stunning turn of events. Field slides all the way to 24. That's a little bit more than stunning. It's a completely farcical term of events.
0: I, he's going to need a Laramie Tunsil gas mask day of the draft. Well, no, you know what far. it's going to be? Uh, Charlie Castley is the king of the hand-timed 40. Maybe he, on Charlie's four, watch, yeah, maybe yeah. it's not great. Charlie's out 24. there with his arm out just yeah. like... Yeah, that's a 4-9 from Justin Fields, down to 24. Uh, the rest of his mock is kind of chalky. Those are the two major things. so that, that was... no, Najee Harris falling, going at 8, uh, Justin Fields going to 24, and Pitts at 15. Those are like the three kind of like, whoa, can't believe that happened, picks in this mock. After that, it's like Barmore to the Jags, Horn to the Browns, Trayvon MoRig to the Baltimore Ravens, Jason Owe. Again, a ton of pass rushers to the Saints at 28. Green Bay Packers grab Zayvon Collins at 29. Joseph Asai, another pass rusher at 30 of the Bills, and then lastly, Greg Newsome, cornerback of Northwestern to the Kansas City Chiefs, and then Patrick Jones, another pass rusher to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers at 32. That was a ton of defensive line talent coming off the board in this first-round mock, which, again, this one is one of the more stunning, one of the more off-the-beaten-path mocks we've really seen this season.
1: I will say it doesn't it doesn't get to mjd levels of what the hell is going on in this mock draft which i can't wait for mjd to drop his first mock last year came march uh 31st was the the incredible justin herbert number one overall to a tongue low number two overall to the chargers uh with a trade happening and then joe burrow falling all the way to five that was the mjd banger so it doesn't get to that level but it's it's just I I can't fathom how he he must he must have it's one of those where like I think he has inside info that the Falcons probably like Najee Harris Falcons aren't gonna they're still not gonna draft Najee Harris they'd be crazy to draft Najee Harris if they stay there in the top 10
0: yeah I mean they could like Najee Harris all they want but you don't take him at eight
1: yeah because I do remember like he's he is obviously connected throughout the league I still remember one of my I used when I used to do mock drafts growing up with my family, to see who would get the most picks right, I said Jake Locker to the Titans because he said Jake Locker was going to go to the Titans, and he was emphatic about it like two days before the draft. And so, yes, he has info, but that's one that just – I'm not. that's not Jake Locker to the Titans for me. I mean, if you have,
0: if you have a scout or an analyst or some decision maker or part of the decision-making process in your front office that is advocating for Najee Harris in the top ten, I do think that's a fireable offense. I, I honestly do. I honestly do. You are obviously not factoring in the ample, copious amounts of data available that suggests that picking that position that highly,
1: yeah, ra- just, rarely leads to success. You're just going to make a lot of other decisions then that are probably not within the best, yeah, long term vision of your franchise. All right, and it's like there's no no one has the scouting eye. Has been proven that no one can gain that big of an advantage over that in that regard. I'm going to continue to bang the table. I I do believe that some people know better than others. Like that's still obviously a thing, but it's not nearly as big a thing as other ways of team building.
0: I'm going to continue to bang the table to at least cut your evaluator budget in half and spend the other 50%? I don't think these
1: teams are needing that big of a budget. I think they're making money hand over fist to begin with, that they can just make spend the money. Dude,
0: continue to pay all the scouts. Whatever you need to do. <laughs> I'm just saying if, if it's a budget issue that you're not hiring personal assistants for the Isaiah Wilsons of the world, mm-hmm. then you should remove some of the talent spend. Or no, the evaluator spend is where my head is. Let's jump to something a little bit less farcical here. Also on NFL.com, close friend of the podcast. I think he's been on two or three times, Daniel Jeremiah. Um, dropped his latest top 50. And I, I think the biggest thing that stands out to me after Trevor Lawrence at one and Jamar Chase at two, I thought we were high on Jamar Chase. Jamar Chase at two. Number three, he's got Kyle Pitts. And I think this, unlike PFF's draft board doesn't factor in positional value as much it does i think in some places but it doesn't factor in positional value positional value as much as ours does so it really does speak to like how rare he sees both chase and pitts compared to their respective positions
1: yeah that's what i was kind of suggesting or hinting at earlier is that if you're not taking positional value into account if you're just saying this guy compared to his position how rare is he cal pitts is easily a top three it should be top three on every single draft board it's the only guys I can see arguments for other guys in this draft Panay being ahead of him Trevor Lawrence maybe Micah Parsons but I, even then I think I think that Cal Pitts would be ahead of him That that's about it like he could be even number one on this draft board that's how special he is for the tight end position as a prospect he's just a different dude so yeah Cal Pitts at three if you have him outside of the top five and you're not again taking position well into it you're you're wrong,
0: and I, I think you say. said that. And I think you said that on the Thursday podcast, saying like, "Hey, if your draft board does not take into account positional value, Pitts needs to be like you know the number two, number three player." And you have it here from Daniel Jeremiah at four. He's got Zach Wilson again. Caleb Farley at five, very high in Caleb Farley. That speaks to how well. I mean, the and that I think is very encouraging for PFF's draft board four two four. By the way, Caleb Farley. So Caleb Farley said he's been running four two since high school, but tells people four because they don't believe lot. him. I think it's true. I think he is in the four two range. Laser time, maybe it's like four three one, four three two. But like hand time, Charlie Casserly out there pegs Farley at a four two five or in that range. I do think he's that fast.
1: At I over will say pounds. he he is when I anytime I flipped on his tape, I never he caught up with every single person that got behind him. Every single time a person got behind him, even Chase Claypool got behind him. Chase Claypool, long strider at six four 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 speed. When he got behind him, Chase, Caleb Farley made that up and. It, a blink. Like that that was that is why I like, think DJ's as high on him as he is. That's why we're as high on him as he is because when you have speed like that, size and length like he does, it gives you that room for error. You can you can lose a step, but then you get it back. That's what, like 424 four, though is still rare. Yeah. A legit 4-2.
0: I mean it's faster than Deion Sanders.
1: Yeah. And, and he's he's heavier than Deion Guys who roll into the combine that like Jeff Demps, who was a 10 flat hundred meter guy Pure did not run 424 that is a legit olympic level athlete sprinter weren't running 424 it's a that's a juice time that, that, that i'd is, be very surprised and he's also a friend of the podcast you, call, you, you tell me he's a straight four four three flat guy okay i, c- I can i could believe that but not 424
0: 424 <laughs> um all right so at five he had farley at six jalen waddle um which is cool to see again, Daniel Jeremiah on the side of Devontae Smith not being the number one or number two receiver in this class. But again, all of his all of those guys are in his top ten. I think he has Devontae Smith, yep, at eight. Rashawn Slater at seven. A, the number one offensive tackle on his board is still, still but Rashawn Slater.
1: Now number nine is Penny Sewell. They're they're the gaps closing. I'm, I see that flipping. We're gonna we're gonna get DJ on the pod. and We're, we're gonna, gonna convince him. it. Uh, to flip on his board.
0: I like it. I like it. Yeah. Penesul's been, I mean, Penesul, I think, is right now the number one offensive tackle on all analyst boards except for Daniel Jeremiah. Daniel Jeremiah holding true for Rashawn Slater, a guy who, like again, is a very, very good offensive tackle prospect and if not, a very, very good guard prospect. I know a lot of people see him playing at an elite level at guard in the NFL. Devontae Smith at eight, Sewell at nine, Micah Parsons at 10.
1: So uh, Zerline also has Slater over Sewell. Oh, really? If you click on the links on Darren and Jerry Lamarine's top 50, you can get Zerline's takes on these guys. I don't think they've officially all dropped yet, but...
0: Oh, he does his Slater's draft still, profiles every year. Yeah. Zerline does a really good job with that. Yeah, uh, Trey Lance of North Coast State at 11 ahead of Justin Fields at 12. Do you think you're going to start to see more analysts have Lance over Fields? Because I've been lately seeing more people stand for Mac Jones than Lance and Fields. Like Chris Sims was saying, Mac Jones is a better prospect than Tua Tagovailoa. Same with Seth Galina.
1: I can't, I can't take Chris Sims seriously. I'm sorry, but Seth Seth Galina saying that Mac Jones or Tua, he's watched both. And, uh, like, I will take that noteworthy. I don't believe, I don't agree because I still think that there's a level of projection and physical tools matter, and Tua had better physical tools projecting the NFL. But I think, like, as far as prospects themselves go and, like, the way they played la- their final years of college, yes, Mac Jones, I think, played better football than Tua did his last year of college. So I could see that. The... The one that's interesting to me is where the NFL will end up on Lance because I think I tweeted out back when the Jets were locked in the number two that he it wouldn't surprise me if he was the guy that goes number two because it's easy to fall in love with the skill set he brings to the table. It's everything you know everything physically you could want is there. Is it what's it going to turn into? I don't know, but that's what scouting is projecting that those tools and developing. That's what coaching ends up being is putting those physical tools into. Uh, you know what we saw from Josh Allen this past year, developing them in an offense. And so I think it, if you if I had to bet right now, I think they're around the league more people would be higher on Lance than they would fields. When
0: you were in Charleston, Anthony Tresh filled in for your spot on the serious radio show we do from seven to nine every single week. And he was standing for the idea that Mac Jones is a better prospect than Trey Lance. And his primary concern, just hear this out, is Trey Lance's Trey Lance's accuracy. If you look at his ball his ball location charting according to PFF yeah. among first round quarterbacks or projected first round quarterbacks over the past 3 years it's by far the worst it's less than 50% on throws 5 plus yards downfield what are your takeaways or i guess your counterarguments to people who have concerns with Trey Lance's accuracy
1: yeah that's it's an issue one he threw downfield more than anyone else like 5 yards the 5 plus yards whatever he was he was throwing most of his throws were intermediate probably like 12 plus yards down the field he was that was that offense there were no gimme throws in that offense he's not throwing you know a ton of rpos a lot of stuff like that so that's one two is that he has a very small sample size that's the other thing we just don't know that's kind of the allure of him too is 18 dropbacks a game in one season and he was 19 that's what you got yeah he's 19 years old <laughs> yeah it's like that's he is the youngest of all, of all these top guys that's kind of what you're buying into is that he's not he's not completely inaccurate. Like, he's not, this isn't Christian Hackenberg we're, we're dealing with, where he's going to have to completely change that aspect. There are quarterbacks, he would come in and be one of the least accurate quarterbacks in the NFL immediately, but we've seen quarterbacks succeed with slightly better accuracy numbers than him once he gets in. What do you think he runs?
0: Tresh is saying 4'9, four, 4'8, four, four, Is he high? I What? Trash, Trash is high.
1: I think low 4.6s. Yeah. If I would say in the
0: 4.5s, if it's hand-timed yeah. at Exos' pro day, you might run the 4.4s. <laughs> yeah. Can we talk about that a little bit? I had a handful of people DM me asking, like, what is your opinion of these Exos combine numbers? Rashad Bateman runs in the 4.3s. Tylen Wallace clocks in the 4.3s. I think there was another receiver that ran the 4.3s. I think they're all – this is what I said. This is my biggest takeaway. The NFL needs to get better – at collecting GPS data. And I think I saw Kevin Clark of the ringer tweeting about this GPS data at the collegiate level. So that way you can track game speed in miles per hour with pads on Mm -hmm. average it or track their top speed because these 40 hour dash times as you could see more after this year, here's a take after this year, I think you could see more receivers or more players maybe opt out of running the 40 at the combine to do it at their pro days and get these better numbers. Because what is the actual opportunity cost? I don't think teams take you off your board if you run a 4-3 something at your pro day but chose not to run at the combine. I do think that something that uh, I talked to Mike Tannebaum recently, former um, Jets and Dolphins GM, he said something that scouts always do is that they match wherever they weighed in and if they ran a forty that day, that's what we're matching up with. If they yeah. weighed in once and then ran a forty later, they're almost like scrap it. It's like yeah. you you have to you have Wait to run in a in. forty with the weight you weighed in at. Yeah. So I think that's another thing too.
1: Yeah, and, and they take you take the best forty, like you take the best one you get on your watch. Though is the biggest thing is that on the watch part, they're not they don't care about a reported forty time. Yeah, it has been for the entirety of scouting history. If it's not on your watch, like you're not just gonna take some some random and
0: there were nfl scouts obviously at the exos yeah. pro day who were clocking it
1: so we'll see what the scouts like they have their own times for this this 438 or whatever i wish you could get like better they had better video of it that they released instead of this view that's two inches off the ground and you see you can't tell where either the finish line or the starting line is and so you're just like what does that even matter like that what it's just for like an instagram show basically to yeah. have that camera angle but Sadly. And I, and I'm not one to shy away from an the IG
0: show. Like I like an Instagram show here and there, but it's just not gonna be my cup of tea. Uh gregor Rousseau at thirteen on Daniel Jeremiah's big board. Patrick Sertan at fourteen. Elijah Vera Tucker at fifteen. Trayvon Morig at sixteen. Daniel Jeremiah and you are are getting a little bit closer. You guys are seeing the game the same way because I I don't think Step
1: on morig Huh? We're in lockstep. Lockstep
0: with Trayvon Morick. I think he's also another guy that is getting going to get underrated for how smart that dude is. Very cerebral player. When I talked to him, I think that was one of the biggest, and he mentions it here, instincts in the first sense. I do think that you see that on his tape, and when you talk to him, the guy is an absolute gamer that really studies the film.
1: It really is crazy when I'm you know, going back and watching the TCU safeties. You're like, is it is it just like TCU scheme or something? But no, they really are kind of just those are different dudes in the way they play the game of football. They are very, yeah, Gary Patterson's one of the best defensive coaches, you know, college football history, probably. But those guys, even compared to TCU safeties of the past or just, you know, safeties throughout college football, those guys are special players. The fact that they were, I believe, in the same recruiting class is kind of incredible.
0: Going to scroll through a little bit. Don't want to name every single player in his top 50. You can check that out at NFL.com. I think another notable a few a few slots down here is Joe Tryon, the Washington edge defender coming up five spots to 27. He's the guy that when I've talked to others that have worked out with him or former teammates has said he is a completely different player since opting out. He has built his body completely differently to a point where he's an absolute monster. And that's the hardest thing to build because when you are... Okay, you know you hate... I know you hate when I talk to people and it affects opinions or whatever, the interview stuff. But I will say this. The most recent season you played is often the one that you kind of hang your hat on when you're going into the draft and what yeah. scouts look out the most. You didn't get that with Joe Tryon. So now you're starting to look at this projection of what kind of player he's going to be. And maybe 2019 from a production standpoint wasn't great, but that wasn't going to be his last season until COVID-19 took yeah. over the world. Now you see him completely transform his body and have some of these length and athleticism traits you like. It's, I think it's going to be very hard to project a guy like Joe Tryon and so much that like people are just going to flock to the fact that he looks like a superhero without the cape and, and has all these tools.
1: This what like guys like him in this draft class are the ones that are really gonna suck to evaluate because the last time we saw him play football he was 20 years old. The next time we see him play football he's gonna be 22. That's, that is like the biggest physical difference. That's like where you really change as an athlete are those Also eight, as a human, like
0: it's a lot of cognitive yeah.
1: difference going from 20 to 22. Yeah, you try okay? alcohol for the lot. first time exactly. in your life. Everyone does, but no, that's, I'm kidding. Um, That is a big step that we're going to miss out on in his development. And so you're just going based off of physically what you think he can do. And he has reps physically where, like, that's the reason people are hiring him is because he can do things physically that a guy like even Rashad Weaver can't. Rashad Weaver, very talented, created out extremely well. He's not going to stack Penny Sewell in the run game the way Joe Tryon did in some reps. Yeah. Just can't. Like, they don't have that level of explosion. Tryon does.
0: And I think this is a good segue too to another comment that Mike Tannebaum made with Tresh and I on the serious show, and that a lot of teams he said are going to value twenty twenty two picks more than twenty twenty one because there's just gonna be more information on the players you're drafting the following season when you have less opt outs and those things. And it's gonna be guys like Tryon that people are scared of picking and would rather say, Hey, we're you know, he's a value on our board right now. Maybe we trade back a little bit or maybe we trade for a future pick. To get out of the situation where we're, it's even a bigger lottery ticket than it was in previous years. Like yeah. it is, you're banking on a guy that you haven't seen play. Same with Trey Lance too. Like Trey Lance is another example of a guy that you've seen one game from him in the last 16 months, and the last time you saw him play, he was averaging 18.3 dropbacks a game at 19 years old. Trading for future picks where you'll have most likely have more information is something that he's that Tannenbaum said more things would happen or more. Uh, it more will teams happen. Wow. More teams are going to. Moving forward here, Levi and at 28, Nick Bolton at 29. Um, something to highlight here is the the Kentucky guys. Jameen Davis, if you scroll a little bit past here. Um, wait, before we get to Jameen Davis, 31. I want to keep talking about this kid. We've talked about him a handful of times lately. Greg Newsom, Greg Newsom up nine spots on his board. And the more you turn on that tape, dude, the more games you watch. He has got some special hip fluidity, some special movement skill set, and the length that I think teams are really going to buy into.
1: Yeah. The biggest thing with him was the role was just so limited. They are spot drop cover three at Northwestern. And and then he didn't play you know, against Ohio State, I think like a dozen or so coverage snaps before he got hurt in that one. So didn't play a lot of co- top competition in the Big Ten this year in terms of the wide receivers he faced. So you got a guy who played almost exclusively zone, off zone, trying to project him to the NFL, where you know there are some schemes that just do that. That are, and I think they're even growing. Uh, they're like the Fangio tree, he is perfect for, and that schemes obviously I think we've talked about. That's my bet for the the scheme to jour that starts prolifer- proliferating around the NFL and already has with multiple teams this off season. So he's, he he is perfect for that. That that is a great scheme for him. It's just we haven't seen him do too much else or face too much top competition. But, man, I I, I agree. I'm, I'm in on that physical skill set and what he brings to the table. I don't think he's the fastest, but I think with his length, he can make up for it, and just the way he can move, change direction directionability really is special.
0: What he's able to do in off coverage I think is really, really impressive. When there is, there is admittedly space, and you're obviously trying to limit space at the quarterback position, but when there's admittedly space between him and the receiver he's covering, He's able to still make up ground in that area or like take good angles to kind mm. of cover ground. And I think that is something I took away. Uh, jumping down to 35 on Daniel Jeremiah's board. He wasn't even ranked inside his top 50 the last time he published one of these. Jameen Davis uh, of Kentucky, the linebacker, a guy that you've talked about that his role, like similar to Newsom, his role, they didn't ask him to turn his back to the line of scrimmage a ton, didn't do a ton of you know complex things in coverage, but athletically, length, like th- this is yeah. another one of those guys with traits that. Regardless of maybe his production in college, teams are going to jump at because he's got these traits.
1: Yeah, and and I think his that skill set that is kind of what everyone wants at linebacker now. The the thing that got Tremaine Edmonds drafted in the first round, I I fucking blow their names every time. Tremaine, yeah, not Terrell. Tremaine. I don't know how Terrell. I don't know what got Terrell Edmonds drafted in the first round, but I know this is what got Tremaine Edmonds drafted in the first round. Was that he is long and fast at linebacker position long and fast you could shut down windows by being simply long and fast that is a lot of teams that are zone heavy teams that are going to use them in that role they'd want that just because you know it's almost something we can't even sort of uh quantify and i don't even know if it really can get taken into account in our grading is that you see a guy who has a you know a seven foot wingspan at linebacker versus a guy who has a six and six foot three inch wingspan at linebacker. That's, it's like in basketball, like you just can't pass around the guy. You're not even going to go for that pass. Even if they're in this exact same spot, maybe you, you don't feel as comfortable about throwing over a guy like that. And they can be, it just gives you that level of room for error.
0: Right after Jameen Davis is Tutu Atwell, who's dropped down five spots since his last ranking, but still at 36. And a handful of spots over guys like Rashad Bateman, Elijah Moore, among Rondale others. Moore Rondale well. Moore as well. Do um, you think he continues to fall down Jeremiah's board as he gets closer? Because I do think that the more you turn on the film for guys like Amari Rogers, even Jalen Darden, obviously Rondale Moore, Rashad Bateman, like it's time to start to consider these guys top thirty five players and move two two maybe
1: this, down a bit. This is another one we're gonna have to get DJ on and put him on the spot and be like, hey, there's there's these group of the group that we've talked about, this dynamic group of slot receivers. Why is that like yeah. what what does that will give that? It's those definitely guys a don't? good
0: conversation for sure. Moving down a little bit, another guy that came up big is Ronnie Perkins, guy that I watched more closely recently and came away really, really impressed. He went from unranked to 38th on Daniel Jeremiah's board. And I know you're a big fan of uh, of Perkins too. He's at 61, I think, on PFS board, but he's
1: coming up for But here. he is coming up because I went back through when I did, after I did the draft board, I went back through and did the position rankings that the next couple of weeks and kind of reviewed those guys back to back to back to back to back to, back to really get a handle on how I wanted to rank them at their respective positions and not just kind of on an overall board. And then after that, he he jumped, I think, three guys who were above him on the board. So he's going to be coming up in the next one. He jumped over Carlos Basham, and he jumped over uh, Peyton Turner on the edge ranking. So I think he's edge six for us now in the, on pff.com. So he's just... I tr- I think the biggest thing that really... I came away impressed with was that he can play the run 247 pounds the way the list says Oklahoma he looks a little bigger than that to be honest like he doesn't look super undersized but that man can play the run whereas I have questions about Joseph Asai playing the run some of these other undersized guys Ojulari, even a little I do not have questions about Ronnie Perkins and how he can play in the running game I think he plays with fantastic leverage and has some power to him so yeah Ronnie Perkins that guy's that 38 is about, uh, might even be, I might even be a little higher on him on the next PFF draft board.
0: There you go. Love to see it. Moving down, another one that we're probably going to talk about a lot more as he continues to kind of move up boards and get into first round mocks is Kelvin Joseph. Why right now do you feel that Kevin Kelvin Joseph is as low on PFF's board compared to where kind of the NFL, I think what you could say the NFL sees him right now?
1: He's so up and down. And again, one year of tape. Obviously, he has fresh mirror at LSU, but then transfers. Saudi this past year, retro sophomore, opts out, doesn't even play the full season. I don't think he's terribly fast. Like, he has good movement skills. Him and Greg Newsom have, both have kind of that level of change direction ability, but he doesn't key nearly as quickly, in my opinion, as uh, Joseph does, or excuse me, as Newsom does. He's just not near that level of polish that you saw in his game. And so I don't think he's... Terribly fast, and then I don't think he has necessarily the instinctual plays on his tape that we saw from Newsom. And then at that point, kind of just in that logjam, there's a guys, a lot of guys with good skill sets at this cornerback at the cornerback position in this year's class that I don't think Kelvin Joseph really set himself apart, except for maybe like two reps against Alabama that you could buy in on here.
0: I also think something important to add there that is not really evident right now, but Kelvin Joseph, and he adds it in here. Daniel Jeremiah's analysis is still a work in progress and teams need to do their homework on why he left LSU. From what I've heard...
1: Oh, yeah, it's not good.
0: It's failed drug tests. It's what I've yeah. heard. But again, those are rumors. That's not official. From what I've heard, though, it has failed your analysis test that he either could choose to take suspensions for or ultimately transfer. And he did, and he transferred to Kentucky. But that's from what I've heard. Obviously, you know, most people have to do their homework and find the official reasoning for why he did transfer. Which so that uh, doesn't help. Which doesn't uh, help. That won't help you. Um, moving down here, he has right there Jabril Cox. Right after he was no, unranked, now forty third on his board. I really like Jabril Cox.
1: Me and DJ again, locks. And w-
0: w- but one, when you one. think about Jabril Cox and compare him to Jameen Davis, would you rather have Cox or Davis?
1: Davis is the better athlete. I think that's why dj's hiring him. I'd rather have Jabril Cox because I think he's the better football player, and it, it, he's not a bad athlete. If he was a, you know, at that point you're kind of just splitting hairs there. If he was you know, completely inept. If he was a below-average athlete, we could we could flip that distinction. We could flip the ranks of those two for sure. But if a guy ticks the physical box already and then he plays position outstandingly the way Jabril Cox does, uh, I'm going to go with that guy
0: few more names to highlight here Rashad Bateman went from unranked to 46th on his board Aaron Robinson who I think he was the first to mock him in the first round has dropped nine spots to 48 on his board I ultimately think he's a day two corner um yeah. that I um especially with the arm length concerns might have to play in the slot the next level and then guys that uh, another guy that fell pretty big is Elijah Moore down seven spots to 50.
1: Yeah I'm surprised that he'd drop him yeah wonder why because I the more I watch Lashmore, it's I'm just like, he fucking does everything well. Yeah. There's very few weaknesses to his game besides probably size. Now he's not elite at a ton of stuff, but I think he's very, very good at a lot of different things.
0: One notable player that fell completely out of his top 50 was previously ranked number 42. And it's encouraging because we were not high on this player because of production concerns, but knew the NFL would be high on him for athleticism and traits. It's Patrick Jones. People like Patrick Jones' size, showed up to the Senior Bowl though, and to just not have a good week.
1: had probably the worst week of anyone there, to be honest. And that's why he dropped out. Like, legitimately, if you were high on him going in, and uh, there's no reason to, like, there, there are things on his tape that are encouraging. There's, I could see being, there are things to like about him projecting the NFL that you would like going in. But that is a, a guy who legitimately dropped a stock over the, over the week of practice. You should if you are any evaluator that went back to watch that week you should not dig your heels in and say no i still believe in patrick jones as this first round ish caliber player you should go back and reevaluate if that's what you still believe in because one it it didn't have super long arms had 32 inch arms which is actually on the very short end for the edge position and then two we had the lowest win rate in the one-on-ones one there those are legitimate concerns
0: we're going to transition now to look at um expected draft position according to I think his name is what Brian Robinson let me find his handle before I
1: grinding the mocks grinding the mocks I know
0: the the site and I'm not trying to butcher it I um
1: not grinder the mocks grinding the mocks
0: the guy behind the site though is Benjamin Robinson Gosh. Benjamin Robinson grinding the mocks.com he right now is working with you know expert fans and evaluators and projector mock drafts to kind of formulate an expected draft position considering these mock drafts and we're going to look at expected draft position for some of these versus where our guys go but ADP it's
1: like fancy football
0: yeah it's kind of like average draft position but before we do so I have to break some news oh no JJ Watt right now has officially signed a two-year deal two-year 31 million dollar deal with the Arizona Cardinals oh fuck reuniting with DeAndre Hopkins initial reactions with uh, of that deal
1: you really wanted a ring I see no, Why, like, that's, you just, okay. I I don't think Garazzo is going to win it all next year, sorry. I, I I am very surprised. I thought he was going, I thought he was going to be in the ring-chasing sort of group. Now, Cardinals could, I mean, should shall I say, make the playoffs next year, but they are losing a lot uh, if they lose Patrick Peterson and just, like, need a lot defensively, so... Uh, yeah, I'm surprised to say the least.
0: I mean, I think a lot of this is wanting to play with DeAndre Hopkins again. I also think a lot of it's West Coast weather, baby. You know, Arizona, though it gets really hot, is a lot nicer than some of those other places that we're calling Cleveland, Buffalo, Green Bay. I'm, I'm, obviously, that's too much. But if you're a ring chasing, you're going to Green Bay or Buffalo, full stop. Yeah. If you're if you're looking to you know best make a ring, maybe this was I think mean, Cleveland thing, like, he did get- like
1: one of the like those teams were all the final eight last year, mm-hmm. so that would have made sense. This Cardinals did not make the playoffs. Maybe
0: they were willing to pay but the most, fifteen point five million dollars. Yeah, I mean that's what it's, a that's
1: what it seems like. Which good move for the Cardinals. Like this is you pair him up. I wonder what they're going to do now with Chandler Jones because he's owed that big cap hit that we talked about. Yeah. I wonder if they either try to extend him for another year and push it in the future, or it'd be weird though if they just cut Chandler Jones to sign JJ Watt. I don't foresee that being the case here though.
0: All right, let's look now at Benjamin Robinson's expected draft position versus PFF's big board rank here, and you can check this out on grindingthemocks.com. Five guys we are higher on more than the consensus expected draft position. Nick Bolton of Missouri, Rondale Moore, wide receiver of Purdue, Oklahoma State offensive tackle Tevin Jenkins, which I think is a surprising one. I did not expect us to be ahead on Tevin Jenkins. Then you also have Jason Owe of Penn State, and then Rashad Bateman of Minnesota. Those five guys. You hit a
1: nice O there for the Minnesota.
0: (laughs) From Minnesota. Of those guys, I think the one that I want to talk about the most is the Tevin Jenkins one. Because he is not necessarily one of those guys where like PFS normally hire them, where the production's crazy and he's, you know, some, you know, grading profiles outstanding. It's just he's a really good football player. And I, I do think that we're big on him for what he can do at right tackle.
1: Yeah, the production. It's pretty damn good though so like he had an 85.7 grade in 2019 mm-hmm. 92.0 this past year oh that's right he was very good yeah 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 and physically as, as strong as hell mm-hmm. he beat the shit out of joseph Asai in that texas game that's like the reason i am I'm not touching joseph Asai in the first or second round like that he just in the nfl that when joseph Asai faced nfl caliber strength he got thrown around uh which is worrisome, obviously. So, Tevin Jenkins, he's not perfect. This tape's not perfect by any means, and I, some teams are probably gonna, you know, call him a guard, classic right tackle, put him no, a guard. He doesn't,
0: but he, he doesn't have the foot speed. I mean, he doesn't have like the quickness that the, some of these yeah. other guys have. And I think, do I do think when the NFL is looking at traits for offensive linemen, it's it's quickness, it's explosiveness, and he's just a strong dude with a, yeah. with really, I guess, really good production. I misspoke there.
1: Yeah, and I think he uses his hands exceptionally well. I, I just, I think that's a quality tackle in the NFL. 44 it's not so we have he's 26 on our board 44 average draft position so
0: the other one i'll talk about i want to talk about is jason oway jason oway at 20th on pff's big board 36th and expected draft position this guy doesn't have good production we just love his athleticism and i think people are scared of the no sacks thing
1: but he does have good production for pff grade. Yeah, like, yeah yeah good enough mm-hmm. you know so people are scared no sacks thing he had an 81.8 pass rushing grade in 2019 an 80.3 this past season with more of a full-time role. 2019, obviously, he was a uh, part-time player behind Shaka Tony and Itor Grossmatos this this past season. Finally a starter, only a handful of games, but still, like said, 80.3 pass rushing grade. You compare that to someone like Gregory Rousseau, who's lauded for his production, 16 sacks. He only had 80.7 pass rushing grade. They're in a similar sort of when, and pass rushing grade is, if you break it down to what we're actually grading as pass rushing it is, how often do you beat the guy in front of you? We don't care if you get home. We don't care if it results in a pressure. We don't care if it results in a hit, sack, whatever. You beat that guy, and you beat that guy quickly, you're going to grade out well. If you don't beat that guy or don't beat that guy quickly, not going to grade out as well. Of that those the,
0: five, Of those five, who are you most nervous about? That maybe doesn't pan out to your expectation. I, and it's an interesting question, but uh, who are you like? Oh man, maybe I should bring this guy down.
1: I I, I truly believe in no way that guy. In in my opinion, has the freakiest physical skill set of this freaky edge class. That's just and that explosiveness, speed, it's just the combination is there. I just think he was late to the game of football, and it's still kind of catching up, and that's what you see on his tape. And at The things that I and the the biggest thing that I buy in is the difference between his 2019 tape and his 2020 tape against the run. That's why he couldn't see the field. That's why he wasn't an every down starter in 2019 is because he was a bit of a liability against the run. He did not play with good leverage, he did not sink and fire. You know, it, it was not, he did not attack blocks the way you would like to see a defensive end attack blocks. And so he got just crushed off the ball at times. That was not the case this past year. His run defense grade exploded this past season. I think 87.3 or something. uh, 89.7, excuse me, after a 59.5 last year. That improvement, seeing that he can put that together, makes me believe that there's more that he could put other things together about his game. And like what he has a number of pass rushing moves, they're just not like he's capable, just not necessarily refined. So that's OA I truly believe in. The one that scares me is Rondell Moore because. We really, just the usage was so not not good. Yeah. Like, it was so shit mm-hmm. for projecting what you'd like to see him do in the NFL. If you're going to draft him, what, who was 21st on our board, 39th on the average draft position, that usage is just unlike anything you'll see for his role. And, and if that is his role in the NFL, he's not a full-time player. You are a part-time bit player yeah. if that's your entire role. So, if his
0: role doesn't significantly change in the NFL, there's no way. No, if you don't, if you, so if you're a guy, a team drafting, and you don't, if you are taking Ronda Moore, don't foresee putting him in a more consistent starter role, then you're not going to put him in the first round.
1: Yeah. Then you're, then you can just go sign Taven Austin if you want. Mm -hmm. So, that's the biggest, that's the one that scares me the most. But I, I still, like I said, I still believe, obviously, I'm not fucking moving him because when you did see him on some reps, the 2019 tape is what I, if i go back and watch and say why is he 21st on the draft boards because of the 2019 date what he did in those four games 2019 it was like three and maybe some change before he got hurt was the closest thing to what his role could be at the nfl level that really sold me
0: all right the opposite side of this so guys that we were much lower on compared to grinding the mocks expected draft position joe tryon Thirty-eight spots lower than where they expected is. Jalen Mayfield of Michigan, the offensive tackle guard prospect, Naja Harris, which is never gonna be surprising. Like running backs were never gonna as high have as high as expected draft position. Davion Nixon of Iowa, the defensive tackle that I think early in the offseason was like consistently mocked in the first round, but has fallen quite a bit of late. And then Joseph Asai, who we just mentioned, got his ass kicked by Tevin Jenkins in a game, and that's a big reason why yeah. he's down on our board. Yeah. Of those of those five, I do think that the hardest one to really predict and the hardest one to really get to know if we're far on is the just try on pick. Yeah, I just tryon. don't know. Like we don't know if tryon is gonna be this completely different player and this, you know, this projectable <laughs> athlete the next
1: level. And so the biggest thing with tryon and why I'm, you know, eighty six versus forty eight, and he is, you know, another guy who qualifies as kind of a freak athlete, has the tools that you necessarily want. He's stiff though. He is legitimately not gonna be an edge bender. And I worry about guys like that that don't have that aspect to their game because if you can't win to the edge, and you rarely saw him win to the edge in college, it was bull rushes and a lot of inside moves. You can't win to the edge in the NFL; tackles just will sit on you mm-hmm. a- and will just short set you and just make you try to go off the edge. Like, like I think it's the reason why Jadavion Clowney, for as freakish as he is, and he's a much freakier athlete than Joe Tryon. Never put it all together in the NFL and lived up to the supposed number one overall pick hype. And when he did, it was on in, on the inside. And when he did like really have his most production, it was when he was being moved around and on the inside, it's because he couldn't win the edge against offensive tackles. So any any good tackle would shut him out. So that's to me is the worry and why I'd be lower on try on. The other- I will
0: say this before you move on. When I was talking to Alex Highsmith last year, the Charlotte edge defender that's now, I think, projected to start for the Pittsburgh Steelers if uh, Bud Dupree does move on, he was saying that his position coach that really took his game to the next level always said, you have burst, explosiveness, get off to win. You have bend to finish. And I do think that bending the edge and trying to yeah. turn the corner is so important when you're actually trying to positively effect on the you know have a positive or I guess negative effect on the quarterback when you're actually trying to formulate that pressure. Because as explosive as you can be, you're just gonna get ridden upfield and, and you're not going to get um not going to get by.
1: Yeah. So the, the Najee Harris one running back value, whatever. We're not gonna quibble too much over that one. The interesting one to me here is Jalen Mayfield that just never passed protected in college at a super high level. Even this past year with seventy five point five in two games against Minnesota and Michigan State with edge defenders that would not qualify as a lot of two total pressures over those two games, that I would not qualify as anything spectacular. 27 pressures back in 2019. And he's not to the level of... This is like legitimate pass protection concerns with his hands and that sort of thing. So that one's why we're lower on him than... I just think there's more... More finished products in this tackle class, for sure. Uh,
0: Of these five, who are you most likely to move up between now and the final big board update?
1: Ooh, move up. That's an interesting one. I don't know. I need to go, I need to have a discussion about running back value and where should a guy like Najee Harris, who you feel really good about a skill set, what he can do. I just, where do you value that with the analytics guys? I could see moving him up from 67 on the draft board because i i don't have concerns you know i I don't have there's not big things where i'm like i always you know it's not trent richardson here where it's like uh, you know like he's running behind massive holes he kind of is but like he's still showed he could run through some mess a little bit more i'd say probably try on if you know his testing numbers really come in on another level so that's the only
0: There That's you go. Time. Running backs do matter. Mike Renner, you heard it here first. Um, awesome stall for us. Go ahead and jump now to the interviews with Jalen Darden and Jamie and Sherwood. <sighs> Joining the Two one Drafts podcast is former North Texas receiver Jalen Darden. You're in there at Texas now training with Exos. How's it going, man? Well, it's going great. Uh, I'm getting
2: better every day, soaking in knowledge for some great people.
0: I heard you're training with Rondell Moore, Jamar Chase, Jonathan Adams, Asante Samuel Jr., some talented dudes. I'm sure the competition in the weight room must be nuts right now.
2: Oh, yeah, most definitely. Uh, Everybody's coming to work with a chip on their shoulder, getting better, Uh, soaking in the knowledge from Brent and uh, the other guys around XOs, and we're just getting after it every day.
0: There's, like, some mythical stories about Rondell Moore's ability to squat. Has he shown that out in the weight room? Is that guy squatting, like, 700 pounds? Yeah, he's super strong. Not, he is a, he's a talent for sure, man. Um, so, you know, training at Exos, obviously preparing for a North Texas Pro Day. When is that Pro Day, by the way? Uh, March 25th. March 25th, gotcha. And are there any drills you're specifically prioritizing? I know you're probably working on a combination of everything, but are there certain drills like the 40, the short shuttle, the three cone, any of those that you're like, I got to get to this time, I have to prioritize this drill? Uh,
2: yeah, uh, I'm going I'm to do my 40 and run routes on Pro Day. Mm-hmm. Everything else, I'm I'm gonna do uh, coming up. So oh. oh,
0: okay, sure. gotcha. At, at, at like the EXOS Pro Day, right? EXOS is having like their own Pro Day. Yeah. Yes, sir. Gotcha, so man. I'm definitely do. That. Very cool. Well, before we dive into kind of what you did at, uh, at North Texas and talk about that season, I want to turn back the clocks a little bit and focus on your high school career. You played quarterback at, at yeah. uh, what, Aldine Eisen, Eisenhower High School in Texas, like rushed for over 800 yards, threw for over 600 yards. What, you know, were you like just, I feel like when you talk to receivers in college football that played quarterback in high school, nine times out of 10, you were just like the best player on the team and they had to play a quarterback. Is that kind of what it was? That's exactly what it was.
2: <laughs> I, I more so had to had to take that role and the friendships I had with the players on the team. It was kind of already just like, man, go ahead and do it and help us out. So that's what I did.
0: How many players were on the team?
2: Uh, I'll say around roughly probably 40. Top. OK,
0: gotcha. Yeah. So a lot of guys playing both ways in those things. Yeah, definitely. Yes. Yeah. For sure. Did you play any defense in high school? Uh, I played corner, but I only played one game, and I had a pick six. And that, oh, I let's go! <laughs> That's incredible, man. That's awesome. And then, so you originally committed to North Texas over offers from Virginia Tech, UNLV, and all that stuff. What really drew you to North Texas? Uh, to be honest,
2: uh, it was dealing with the uh, the way I had to to handle with not playing my senior year in high school. So I kind of had a couple scholarships taken away, and North Texas kind of blessed me uh, at the last minute, and I just took. Took the uh, the scholarship and ran with it.
0: Mm -hmm. And what was that? What kind of kept you from playing that senior season? Was that injury
2: related? Nah, it was, uh, I switched from going from Eisenhower to Heights High School. Mm -hmm. And uh, Coach said I moved for athletic purposes. So I had to sit out.
0: Oh no! Okay, gotcha. I've heard some other people have some eligibility concerns like that. What, what, what do you think you benefited from playing quarterback? Do you feel like you have a better read of like overall offensive play structure and that type of stuff now yeah. going from quarterback to wide receiver?
2: Yeah, I, I feel when I played quarterback, it, it made me understand the game. So now, while I'm at receiver, I'm knowing exactly what the quarterback's reads is, and I know exactly what I have to do. So now the timing and everything is on point.
0: Very cool, man. Well, let's go ahead and jump now to what you did at North Texas. Played a bulk majority of your snaps in the slot there, and but had a ton of success winning vertically. That's what I felt like was very impressive from your film. It's like a lot of the times you see slot types working underneath stuff mostly, not running a very vertical route tree. But they were pushing you deep, and for very good reason. You obviously have uh, a burning 40-time we will see at the Pro Day. But talk to me about the experience you had working in North Texas offense North Texas's offense playing in the slot and running what I think is was a very diverse route tree you ran a lot of different things at North Texas and I think that's going to help your game a ton
2: uh yeah yes yeah, sir uh coming in freshman year I played uh played on the Graham Harrah so that was kind of way way different for me uh the fast-paced offense things of that nature kind of helping me get into the the college atmosphere coming from from high school transitioning to college. So I feel with the offense I've been in, I feel like I've been able to show what I really can do as far as as, as putting it all out on the field and, and giving everything that people want to see.
0: Winning deep, you know, winning down the football field, I think is one of the bigger strengths that you do have in this class, but also you were ranked first in total force missed tackles this past year, according to PFF, a really good job working after the catch. Those are obvious strengths, in my opinion, looking at your scouting profile as a third party, but what do you feel like your strengths are? What separates you in this wide receiver class? i
2: uh, will say getting in and out my breaks quick, uh, my route running. Those probably are the, the main two things I pride myself on and, and allow me to be different from other players.
0: And is that something that you've really developed over the course of your career at North Texas? How have you gotten better as a route runner? Are you working with wide receivers coaches? All that stuff. I'm interested to know like how you actually progressed. Uh, yeah, I have
2: an older brother. I actually been training with since I was in high school. So that's more so coming from from putting in work behind the scenes that nobody really see, and then translating that to learning coverages and things of that nature, to putting it all together and helping it helping it work out on Saturdays.
0: In a given game week, how much film are you watching? And when you are watching, say, like an opposing cornerback or opposing defense, what are, exactly are you looking for as you kind of prepare for an upcoming game?
2: Uh, to be truthful, I watch film every day. Uh, it's not a day I don't watch film because of the, the love I have for the game. Uh, and I'm more so watching to to see how the DBs playing. Is he physical? What, what he likes to do. And then I'm going to piggyback off that because at the end of the day, I'm going to just take what you give me.
0: Yeah, I think that makes sense, man. And how much has that you know, you say you watch film every day in the off season, you know, when you're not like preparing for games, what mm-hmm. film are you watching in the offseason? Is it a lot of film on yourself? Is it film on NFL guys? I'm mean, yeah, interested to know what you're looking at now.
2: It's more, it's more uh more film on NFL guys who I, I, I feel like I play similar to or I have traced as like uh <laughs> say for, for instance, Stefan Diggs, Devontae Adams, uh Doug Bowen, Calvin Ridley. He's one of my favorites guys like that that's getting in and out their cuts and really separating with with route running. That's kind of my go-to.
0: Yeah. Calvin Ridley is an underrated name there. You know, you talk to wide receiver prospects and they bring up, you know, Stephon Diggs, Devontae Adams, Julio Jones, but Calvin Ridley, man, that guy has really turned it on of late. I've talked to him, uh, you know, a couple months ago and he has really progressed as a route runner. Do you feel like there are any other receivers even for, I know you brought up Doug Baldwin, are there any other receivers that come to mind that you feel like you pattern your game off of? Uh, I'll
2: say probably Cole Beasley a little bit, uh, Mm -hmm. the way he gets in and out his breaks, he's pretty great at running routes, I'm not gonna lie, so I'll say Cole Beasley, uh, who else can I say, I'll say Julio, the aggression he has in his routes and how he's getting the top speed and and shutting it down, uh, that's not normal for a lot of, a lot of big cats to do, so I'll probably say Julio as well.
0: What's your opinion of because I do feel I like asking this question with wide receivers and corners because it is such a chess match you're going against the same guy a lot you're, you're you know there's like a little battle within the game. What's your opinion of getting into the mental side talking a little trash trying to get on him a little bit. Do you ever do that in games. Uh, I'm more so just let it come to me if you want to talk trash then we could take
2: it there but if not, <laughs> we just
0: we just have a regular game. Yeah. I was talking to who was I talking to yesterday Amari uh, Rogers of Clemson and he said you know I pattern make game after uh Steve Smith and I was like buddy if you want to be Steve Smith you better be ready to talk some shit you know yeah. cuz like <laughs> Steve, Steve Smith is is so much more than a small guy that you know brings it every time like that guy talks yeah. a lot of trash I've yeah he's a, he's a fun dude but um uh, one more thing and I that we can finish with this what feedback have you received on t- from NFL teams about the role they want to play you in in the NFL because I don't personally see you despite you know size being similar to like a cole beasley type as just a slot guy i think you can win on the outside i think you can win on the inside what type of role do you feel like best highlights your skill sets where you want to play in the nfl uh like you said i
2: feel like i can play inside and outside especially with being able to run the route tree uh and more so with teams and how they want to use me uh, i've been letting my agent handle that i haven't really been talking to anybody or nothing like that i've been focused on straight football, and trying to accomplish what I have and my goals I have set out for myself. I think that's
0: a good strategy, man. I really appreciate the time, and and best of luck moving forward. Yes, sir. Thank you. Thank you for the time and the opportunity. Joining Four Drafts podcast is former Auburn. Kind of, you know, safety is probably where you'd slot you, but you played a lot in the box. You could call you a linebacker in some stance. It's defensive playmaker is what I'm going to go with for you, Jamian. But coming from Auburn here on the podcast, it's great to have you on. I know you're down there in Miami trading with, training with House of Athletes. How are things going, man?
3: Uh, everything's going good. Um, can't complain. You know, just living day by day.
0: How's the weather out there in miami and in, in Cincinnati to let you know it's like twenty degrees no, it's like fifteen degrees outside, so I hope it's better than that
3: oh most definitely um it's probably it's eighty four degrees out right now. um wind's blowing It's rained the past couple of days for a little bit, but um it's been sunny like every day.
0: living the dream man, you love to see it and, and so you know I, I'm sure you're working out. Uh, working on a combination of the drills that you'll do at your pro day, your Auburn pro day. But are there any drills that you're working on specifically kind of emphasizing, are you setting any goal times, say for the 40 short shuttle three cone or any of the drills that at the top of your mind that you're trying to crush, or is it really just a mix of everything?
3: Just the base of everything. Um, obviously I just want to go out there and uh, PR on everything. Um, really looking forward to the bench, obviously uh, anxious and looking forward to the 40. Um, but, uh, you know, I also just want to be, like, fluid in my drill work. So, you know, like, I'm really emphasizing on, like, working hard on that. Like, um, getting down the details, getting all the right steps down. Um, Just, like, doing the de- the details and the basics uh, of, like, being a DB.
0: Do, do you have any uh, a goal weight you're working to? I know a lot of the guys are on certain diets and those things. I, I'd be interested to know what weight you're working to and what weight you played at this past season.
3: This past season, I played at an average of, like, 222 um 225 sometimes in that area but uh that was average so I'm not really like on a diet or anything but you know I just want to get down maybe like to 215 um 214 in that area just like to be like that's probably the lightest I go Mm -hmm. run um, as, as fast as I can at that weight and just like be more fluid you know I play good at uh the 220 range stuff like that but you know just to do like these uh this drill work and stuff like that just to be lighter
0: So looking at your game, there's a handful of takeaways I want to ask you about. But the first one being, uh, you know, you watching the all 22. You don't always get to see or the coaches film. You don't always get to see some of the stuff pre-snap like that. What you're doing pre-snap because they kind of wait till the play. But turning on broadcast, you are constantly talking to guys on the Auburn defense. What exactly is your role pre-snap in Auburn's defense? Are you getting the plays from the coach? Are you facilitating that to the players? Because I feel like you're constantly talking uh, before the snap.
3: Oh yes sir. Uh so it's like uh after the play is over, you know, look at my teammates, you know, next play mentality, no matter what happens um the play before, then it's like quick, you know, look to the sideline, get the call. Um you know, you never know how how long it's going to take, you know, they might be hurry up, so you know you got to do it quick. Then you know once I get the call reciprocated to the rest of the players on the field, you know, the near corner, um the far safety, the far corner, all the linebackers, um, even the D line you know, just making sure everybody's cleats are set before the play starts, you know, and then even after uh, I get everybody cleats set, you know, it's like looking at the formation and then like wondering what could happen, you know, if someone moves, what's going to happen, What what's the next defense you're going to call, like sub calls. So it's all about pre-snap communication and then like uh, communicating like during the play because it's not about like where they line up, it's all about where they line up
0: hey I like that uh, so you much watch a ton of film then. Uh, give me some insight on kind of what goes into a given game week how much film you're watching and what you're looking for from an opposing offense when you're when you're turning on the film
3: um, so like at Auburn um we took up film seriously so we're always watching um the other team but you know like we're looking for uh keys uh tendencies so you know it could be like to the simplest thing um the way uh, a guard's on his hands or something like that like if he's pulling or not on um, what routes they run on um, certain situations. Um, so like what they like to go to, again, do they run like shallows, over short yardage situation. So it's like just picking up on two and details really.
0: The, the other thing I noticed, and, and and I think this stands out a lot, is is you play the game like an asshole. And I mean that in the best way possible. You play the game like you want to hurt people. I think another you know a, a play that comes to mind, not sure if you remember it, but it was against Arkansas. I think Felipe Franks pulls it on an RPO. He runs the ball ultimately. But pre-snap, you just blow up Arkansas receiver number seven. Throw him onto the ground, then find the play. I'm not sure if you remember it, but it's awesome. You hit people very hard every single play. I think that's a big part of your game. If you remember that play, I'd love to hear what you said to the guy after because you were jawing that guy up quite a bit. But if not, speak to the mentality overall about how you play the football game.
3: Uh, I remember that play. I actually didn't say anything. Um, I just stood there and looked at him. So, you know, like when I play, I play like that for a reason, you know, just like to boost my confidence up. Um, Just like, um, you know, sometimes you get another player riled up that, like, gets them going. So, obviously, you don't want to get beat. So, it's like it's going to allow both of you to play your best game and then, like, may the best man win at that point. But, you know, I play that way, like, hit people in the mouth, Um, you know, let them know that I just hit them in the mouth. So, you know, like just to let them know uh, I'm going to be there all day. It's, it's more like a confidence thing. And like I said, like, you know, that more confidence you get makes you uh, believe that, like, your opponent can't beat you no matter what.
0: I mean, there's another play, too, where, like, you're coming downhill from a pre-snap alignment. Like, a lot of times moving towards the line of scrimmage at the snap and you make a play, I think, on a crosser against Texas A&M, jar the bar loose. Like, I feel like a strength in your game, and this has coming from, like, a scout's perspective, is is coming downhill, is playing with explosiveness, hitting the guy in front of you, playing the ball in front of you. Do you feel like that is kind of a separating trait or something that makes you kind of a difference maker in this in this class? Oh,
3: definitely. Uh, The versatility. Whether it's from like communicating to uh, communicating to like recognizing the play, to actually being deep and or being up, up front, uh yeah the versatility. So it's like yeah the best part of my game is that I can come downhill, hit something, um do whatever downhill. But like also like I can play like in the deep halves, deep middle, all that stuff. So yeah like yeah me being as versatile as I am and being able to move the way I can, you know like. That, that gives me a positive in this shoes draft.
0: Uh, I'm interested to know in practice how often you're coming downhill against uh, a pretty good back there at Auburn and Tank Bigsby, and what's it like to tackle him in practice?
3: Um, we actually, like, got to go against each other in um, the, like, fall camp the beginning of this, this past season. You know, he's a hard runner. Um, you know, obviously uh, I, I win most of the battles. But, know uh, <laughs> he's, a, he's a great runner. Uh, he runs hard, uh, tremendous uh, skill set. Um And like, he's like someone great to like to go against in practice. You know, he really gets you uh, going for the week and you always know you're going to get 110% out of him. Uh,
0: Another player I wanted to talk about, uh, a former Auburn teammate is uh, is Anthony Schwartz, a guy that just has absolute track speed as is always a tough, you know, a tough out uh, working, whether he's working from the slot or on the outside. How fast is this kid? I mean, everyone talks about him. He's like, you know, a legend, but I'm sure in practice you saw some real speed.
3: Oh, yeah. Like sometimes in practice, he would embarrass you, you know, uh, it's like because you already know, like if he if they give him a go ball route, you know, it's like uh, but, uh, you know, like if he gets that one step, you know, or if you like reach and you miss, you know, it's over with after that, you know, like I said, one step. If you're not like disrupting his route, he's just going to run right by you. And then the thing that's so good about him, like over these past three years, you know, his route running has gotten better. So it's like, he doesn't even have to run a go ball all the time. He could just hit you with something else. And he's getting like more explosive out of his break. So it's like he's getting more deadlier, which is even crazier.
0: I want to finish with this. I'd be interested to know, you know, how much film you watch on NFL guys and if there's any, you know, current NFL players that you kind of um, emulate your game after.
3: Definitely. Uh, so it's like obviously Cam Chancellor, him being like the same size as me, uh, well, just him being a safety at the size that he was shows that, uh, I can uh, so me. I can compare myself to him because it shows that I can move, come down in the box, play deep, make big hits. Uh, you know, I'm trying to get more interceptions and stuff like that. But I can just make the same type of plays as him. Same thing with Jamal Adams. Um, you know, he's a big guy. He can run. He can move. He can cover. He can come down in the box. Hit. He can do all of that uh, versatility skills. And then, like I was talking about confidence earlier. You know, like just Jalen Ramsey. You know, he got that confidence. You know, I like to watch his highlights a lot. You no, know, like I said, like he lets his uh, opponent knows he's there every time, you know, it doesn't matter um what the score is, what it is, you know, he's going to play hard and he's just going to make his presence felt.
0: That's awesome, man. This has been fantastic. I really appreciate you jumping on the podcast and I, and I wish you the best of luck moving forward, man.
3: No problem. Thank you for the opportunity. Have a good day.
0: You too. That's going to do it for this episode of two for one drafts, a loaded episode, two interviews, three breakdowns of Charlie Cashley, Daniel Jeremiah, and the expected draft position stuff. You love to see it. Make sure to support the podcast rate review and subscribe. If you leave a review, five-star review with a question, it is going to be guaranteed answered on the podcast. We will get to it. And I'll also say this, Mike and I have plans for another bonus mailbag because we want to catch up before free agency. We have to get these done before free agency. So if you leave a five-star review, any question, we will answer it. And we're gonna do bonus mailbags until we freaking get this done. We are grinding it out. Thank you so much, everybody. Austin Gale, producer Mike Quinn, producer Dave. We're gonna throw him in there too. Mike Renner, two floor drafts.